children are free to go back for children's worship. The sermon listening guides for the older children are on their way to the back table shortly. Would you all please pray with me? Gracious Lord, for the joy that was set before you, you did endure the shame of the cross. Trusting, trusting in your Father, hoping in his vindication. Lord, as we enter into this holy week, give us grace as your people to follow you along the path that took you there, to love your own, us, to the very end. And Lord, may we hear your voice in the midst of this week. May we hear your gracious invitation. And may we respond in trust, in hope, in obedience. It's in your name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. You may go ahead and be seated. Well, I wonder, have you ever had a job that was so bad you just wanted to quit? had a couple of those over the course of my life. Uh, The one that stands out in my mind as most memorable was the time I spent exactly two weeks as a dishwasher in a restaurant, because after the first night, I put in my two-week notice, and my parents trained me that I needed to, you know, live that out, and so I did for exactly two weeks, and then I got a job with my friend working retail at the mall, never going back to a restaurant. Well, everyone, I would imagine, has part of their job that they don't like. But what if one day you were told that you no longer had to do those parts of your job that you don't like? What if you were told, actually, only the parts of your job that you love, that's your job now? What would happen? What would that be like? Well, it's a bit of an oversimplification, but that's more or less what happened to the prophet Isaiah. See, in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah's prophecy, of Isaiah's book, he was tasked to speak words of warning. He spoke words of warning to kings about changing their ways, changing the way that they were leading the nation, returning to God, letting go of their apostasy. He spoke words of warning to the people of Israel at large, the people of Judah, I should say, at large, Also warning them to give up their idolatry, to give up their pursuit of wealth at the expense of others, to give up their national apostasy. But then toward the very end of his life, at the age of approximately 72, Isaiah's vocation changes. And God, who spoke all of these words of warning and and messages of judgment, graciously allows Isaiah the joy of also speaking words of comfort. The judgment, the exile of Judah into the land of the Babylonians was imminent. 
It was happening at that point. Israel had not heeded the warning. Judgment was at the doorstep. And so there was really nothing left to say about it. They were just going to reap the consequences of their continued disobedience. And so to those who would be swept away against their own choice, especially to those, the the faithful remnant of people who had actually responded to Isaiah's message and had repented and had believed and had turned, even they were going to be swept away and carried off into exile. And so to them in particular, God speaks through Isaiah a word of comfort and a word of hope. And God introduces in these chapters then, the late chapters of Isaiah, starting in verse, I mean, chapter 40 on to the end. He speaks his plan for bringing about redemption. He speaks his hope that they can put their faith and their trust in. And it is all wrapped up in his servant that he introduces in chapter 42. A servant, a messiah. A Christ, that's where we get that word, that will come. And this birth hope in Israel then to wait on their Messiah, their Christ. Who would come and to be the servant of God who would actually suffer on behalf of the people. And would lead them into God's redemption. And so we read in chapter 42, God declares this for the first time. Behold my servant, he says, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. And as I say, this then gave birth to this hope of God's coming redemption through God's coming Messiah. The son of David, the servant king that would suffer for the people and through his suffering redeem all of creation and restore God's justice, righteousness, and peace. And as Isaiah introduces this new theme of the servant Christ, he does so through what scholars refer to as the five servant songs. Five poetic texts that are either like that one I just read from Isaiah 42 about the servant who is to come, or as in the case of the text before us this morning, Psalm 50, or Psalm 50, Isaiah chapter 50, words of this servant Christ. So hear then these words of chapter 50 again. Hear them as the words of the eternal Son of God. God's chosen servant. Hundreds of years before he would be incarnate through the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, his mother. Hear what he speaks. He speaks, first of all, a sustaining word to the weary. He says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word Him who is weary. Now again, remember the original context here. This is a word intended for a particular audience. The people 
of God who have suffered the loss of everything. They've lost their land, they've lost their homes, they've lost their nation, they've nearly lost their faith. They've been tempted to believe that God has utterly forsaken and given up on them. It is to these that God's servant, his chosen one, speaks a word to sustain them. Friends, this is an important statement about the character of the God that we serve. Too often because of our own life experience or our own father figures who sometimes failed miserably at living into that vocation or experiences that have caused us to question God's goodness or shame that causes us to live in a state of constantly thinking there's no way I'm ever going to get my poo together. God cannot possibly be happy with me. We too often assume that God is annoyed or hardened, not tender toward us. But here is a resounding word about God's tenderness and compassion in the face of, even in the midst of, his people's rebellion and brokenness and shame and disobedience. Even in the midst of that place, God sends his servant to speak a sustaining word to the weary. Surely Jesus had this very word in mind when he issued his invitation in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. God's servant king comes to speak a sustaining word to the weary. Brothers and sisters, if you are here weary this morning, weary from trying to do life your own way, weary from trying to chase that golden carrot, whatever that looks like in your life, whatever weary of of struggles that you might find yourself in the midst of, hear this word first and foremost from Jesus to you this Holy Week. Jesus is inviting you, listen. Listen for his voice this week. Listen for a word to sustain your weariness. We're going to walk through a lot of liturgy. We are going to read a lot of scripture. We're going to have a lot of time for silence and and reflection in the midst of this week. And Jesus can speak through any of it. So listen. Listen for his voice. Listen for his sustaining word. Come to this Holy Week eager to hear the voice of Jesus. Well, second, what we see from our Isaiah text as the servant Christ speaks is that he speaks because he has first listened. He goes on, Morning by morning he, the Father, awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. 
How many of us are all too often too ready to speak before we've actually listened, before we've actually heard? But here our Lord declares that before he speaks a single word to the weary, he can do so because he has listened himself and been taught by the voice of the Father. Indeed, Jesus says in John chapter 5, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Further down in the same chapter, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was emphatic Throughout his earthly ministry, he only did what the Father told him to do. He listened for the voice of the Father and acted accordingly. And as we saw a few weeks ago when we talked about the Philippians passage that was read to us again this morning as our epistle reading, Jesus presented the model of obedience and servanthood. He was not rebellious. He did not turn his own way. As we'll remember at the end of the liturgy on Thursday, even as he was in anguish in the midst of the garden, knowing what was to come, and in his complete humanity, hoping against hope that the Father would create some other way to accomplish what was needed, he passes the test, and he chooses trust and obedience Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He listened. He obeyed. He did not turn away. Which leads to the third point that we see in this servant song. The servant Christ speaks from experience. He goes on, he says, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. This comforting word of the Lord doesn't come from some, you know, kind of above it all ivory tower place. He speaks out of his own experience of suffering. This is the great and glorious miracle of what we call the incarnation. God became a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth to experience all of human existence from birth until death. The experience of everything. So that when he speaks into our experience as brothers and sisters, he speaks with knowledge and compassion. When he speaks to sustain us in our own various sufferings, it's no mere pat on the head. Oh, it'll be fine. You'll get over it in time. He speaks his word from his own experience of the deepest depths of human suffering. As we enter into this holy week, we are about to recall, reflect, fully remember the events of our Lord's passion Suffering and death. He knew death and separation from the Father so that we need never experience that. His sustaining word pours out to us who are ready to receive it with the full power of his cross behind it. 
So that in the midst of our suffering and trials and tribulations, our sufferings can be transformed into a place of communion. A place to meet our Lord in his suffering. And the power of the cross can heal and transform our suffering, our brokenness, and our pain. As we come into this Holy Week, come expecting to hear Jesus' voice. Come also expecting to encounter the power of Jesus' cross. Fourth, Isaiah's Messiah servant speaks a word of testimony. He speaks a testimony. He says, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. As we come to remember the the passion, the suffering of our Lord, note well, there is no point in the gospel where Jesus kind of responds by going, oh, well, I guess I can do anything for three days, right? I mean, how often are we looking at, you know, facing down some uncomfortable thing? We think, ah, yeah, I can endure anything for, you know, eight seconds. I can endure anything for 20 minutes, right? I can endure anything for three days, Dying's no big deal. I'm the son of God, right? No, there is no point where we ever see Jesus have an attitude like that. He is anguished in the garden, pleading with the Father for any other way forward because the prospect of three days of complete forsakenness, complete separation from the Father Bearing the sin, the the misdeeds, and the consequences of humanity's rebellion upon his shoulders feels completely overwhelming to him because it is completely overwhelming. No, Jesus does not enter into his great work dismissively or nonchalantly or figuring, ah, I'm strong, I can do this. But as we've already seen in that final crucial crucial decisive moment, he declares again his trust and obedience in the Father, in his strength that will see him through this. The servant repeats twice, Adonai Elohim Azale, the Lord God is my helper. The Lord God is my helper. Jesus emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He has no superhuman strength to face this great trial. He only has the same thing that each and every one of us who have believed in him and are found in him have. Reliance upon the strength that God the Father supplies accessed through God the Holy Spirit. Jesus could only accomplish his work of salvation because he was utterly dependent upon the Father and the Spirit to accomplish it. Likewise, Jesus depended upon the Father to sustain his hope and his trust. It says here in Isaiah, I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. We heard him say in Luke's gospel, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. 
With the sustaining dependence upon the Father and the Spirit came hope that God would achieve his plan and his purpose. And in that hope, Jesus could rest secure. We see, not just here, but throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus' dependence upon the Spirit. Almost every time Jesus does any work of healing, Luke notes for us, the Spirit was upon him to heal. And he did this in the power of the Spirit. Oftentimes, I think we read through Luke's gospel and we're tempted to think, well, why, why does Luke need to make a point that the Spirit was upon him? Well, of course he was. I mean, Jesus was God. Of course he had the power to heal. We see that throughout all the gospels, right? Of course he had the power to heal. Luke includes that detail because he's making a very important teaching point for us. Jesus was not exercising some, as I said, superhuman ability. He was modeling for us his complete and utter dependence upon the same gift, the same source, the same power that he has given to his church, the Holy Spirit of the living God. So that in his gospel, when he says to his apostles, oh, you think this is amazing, you'll do the same works and even greater works will you do because I'm returning to the Father saying, I am going to pour out the Spirit upon you in a new way at Pentecost, and you are going to accomplish my works and even greater works than these ones you've already seen because you rely on the Spirit. That same Spirit that was upon Jesus to heal, the same Spirit that he was dependent upon to receive the help of the Lord God, that same spirit is available to each and every one of us here. As we come into this holy week, come expecting to encounter the divine presence, the divine help, divine healing, the power of God's Holy Spirit. And especially for those whose hope is flagging In that encounter, expect the Spirit to revive hope. Well, finally, at the end of this servant song in Isaiah, we come to something of the punchline. Now, the editors of the lectionary, the scheduled readings that we follow, they cut out these two verses, and it baffles me. I understand not why, because as I say, this is the punchline of this whole text. In verses 10 and 11, the servant Christ speaks an invitation and a warning. He speaks an invitation and a warning. He says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. That's probably why they cut it out. Let's be honest. But that is first and foremost a word of invitation for any and all who receive it. Already in Isaiah's prophecies, we have seen... We've been introduced to the idea that the plan of God for redemption and restoration is not simply a plan to restore and redeem Israel as a nation. It's a plan of redemption for the whole world, a plan for the restoration of all things. 
And so here the servant Christ speaks his word of invitation to join into the experience of that restoration of all things. Put down whatever guiding light you've been following and I will illuminate your darkness. That's his invitation. Despite what Disney and cat posters tell you, don't follow your heart, okay? Don't do it. Here to warn you. You don't just have to listen to your inner voice and do what's right for you. No, Jesus invites you to stop following the designs and desires and voices of your own heart, which will inevitably lead you down a path into darkness and missing the mark. Rather, listen to his voice. Because as the passage ends, we will see it's an invitation, not a command. As someone once said, God is a gentleman, right? He does not force himself upon anyone. He merely invites. And he expects us to engage the free will that he gave us at our creation. And so here, Jesus also plainly declared this warning. If you choose to continue following the light of your own torch, there's only one place that that leads, and it is not good. We cannot take too seriously, brothers and sisters, the dire consequences of following the paths of our own making rather than following the voice of Jesus in reliance on the name and the power of God. Don't follow the light of your own torch. Allow him to illuminate your darkness. So this Holy Week, I invite you again to listen for the voice of Jesus, to follow where he leads. Look to the power of the cross and allow it to minister to the pain, the brokenness and suffering that you have endured. Come expecting to encounter the Spirit and allow him to kindle the flame of hope and obedient trust within you. Come hear the invitation of our servant Christ. Come with open ears, open hearts, open hands. Come. Let's pray.